Welcome to this week's episode of The Digital Download. I'm Kate Hamer. I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that in digital. And I know how hard it can be to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital every week. So this podcast gives you a summary of everything that happened last week, or maybe not everything that happened, asterisk, see terms and conditions, I may have missed some things, but broadly uh, the news from the last week and then key topics for discussion in the industry. Thanks again to everyone who's downloaded it or subscribed so far. Do leave a rating or a review on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to it. Thanks again, anyone who sends me feedback. It's really helpful. Hopefully this is still improving week on week. Keep it coming. I say it every week, but I want it to be your podcast. So tweet me at Kate Hamer Limited and it's LTD at the end of that rather than the whole word or email kate at katehamer.com. Also, any questions you've got, any topics you want me to cover, any people you think it'd be interesting to interview, then let me know. A little notice, there won't be a podcast next week. Oh, I'm actually going to the final of the Euros, um, so I'll still be tweeting interesting things through the week that I see on at Kate Hamer Limited on Twitter, and then the podcast will be back on the 18th of July. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about the latest news and events in social media, a bit about search, some stuff on mobile, and particularly ad blocking. A great campaign slash experience that I've seen this week. And then I'll be ending with a section on recruiting and retaining digital talent. Right, so without further ado, let's get into the events of last week. Starting, as always, with social media. One broad thing on social media, there was a cool little post that NextWeb did Um where they had a gif showing what happens in the time it takes to read a title. So in the time it takes to read the title, 7,257 tweets are sent and then this gif is permanently updating on all the other things like emails sent and stuff. So that is on the companion page for this week's episode on katehamer.com. So have a look at that. On to Facebook. A few small things on Facebook, first of all. It seems that they are testing letting users reply or message straight from the notifications tab within Facebook. I've just seen a couple of screenshots of that um, circulating the internet this week, so watch this space for that being rolled out potentially. Another thing, last week I talked about MSQRD or M squared. I've been corrected. It is actually masquerade. You probably all knew that, so there we go. But that, in the latest iOS update, is now letting you broadcast on Facebook Live through the Masquerade tool. A few other small things. 
in the US, Facebook is rolling out human curated events recommendations in 10 cities. So curators, humans rather than an algorithm, are going to be showing top art shows, festivals, food, music, sports, education around you. So it's a, a things to do in your city guide and it will be embedded in the top of the upcoming events list. There's not going to be any religious or political events in there, though, which doesn't surprise me following the uh, uproar there's been around the way that Facebook decides what news items to show. So they're steering clear of religion and politics. Another little thing we talked a few weeks ago about messenger bots on Facebook. Manchester City are the first football club to launch on the platform. So subscribers are going to get updates on pep talk i mean that just writes itself that should have been the reason alone that they appointed pep guardiola transfer news and social buzz and then once the season starts they'll have a match day topic that will include video highlights so that will all be being pushed out to their subscribers through the messenger bot and then the bigger news on Facebook this week are the changes that they're making to the way their news feed works. And they have given a bit more of an explanation about how the algorithm is working. So they're saying that they're showing friends and family first and that's their real priority. So it learns from how often you're liking things that your friends and family are posting. You've also got the option that you can say see first or hide this sort of post. So it will learn as you interact in that way. And then the two principles they say they follow, your newsfeed should inform you and your newsfeed should entertain you. So it doesn't mean they're always going to show you things that are agreeable to you, but things that they think will be engaging for you. One of the stats is that over a quarter of the links read on Facebook are actually from opposing political views. So it might not be that kind of filter bubble fear that we have of only reading things that we agree with. It's quite interesting that this is coming out. There have been some stats around about the decline in people sharing information about themselves. Uh, it's down 15% year on year in terms of Facebook. So by putting friends and family posts first, that should also encourage people to post more things about themselves. Although I sort of feel that all the social platforms are making it quite easy for people to not share things about themselves now that you can share GIFs and stickers and all the different things. So maybe they're partly responsible for that decline in truly user-generated content. As a result of this algorithm change, they are saying that reach could reduce for pages. I'm not really surprised by that. It was already low for businesses anyway, and I would never recommend a business or a brand to just be trying to get by on a, a Facebook page where they only post organically. I think you always need media money behind it. But I do think that the learnings from what Facebook is showing people should inform your content production. So you should be making things and posting things that people are going to want to share with their friends and families not just posts that you want to put out there. Uh, this is something that I've always had conversations with marketing teams with when I've been in brands. You know, they'll say, we need to post on Facebook about this particular product. And when I ask why, it would be, well, because it 
it's just launched but that isn't really enough just because it's there's a tv ad out just because it's launched what is the interesting or entertaining piece of content that you're going to put out on facebook so definitely think in that way on to linkedin so they have launched programmatic buying for LinkedIn display ads. So you can either buy through an open auction or via LinkedIn private auctions. With the private auctions, you can use your first or third party data in terms of website visitors or CRM database to target the LinkedIn homepage as a placement. And you can also choose to target select LinkedIn audience segments. So for example, IT decision makers, if you don't wanna use your own data. And they're saying they support the majority of DSPs, which stands for demand side platforms, and ATDs, which is agency trading desks. So that's a real development in terms of advertising opportunity on LinkedIn. So you can start to look at all of your ads in one place, what's performing well, what isn't, and really monitoring the analytics from them. So that is a good opportunity in LinkedIn and it should become part of people's marketing mix more. I don't think it's necessarily just B2B advertisers that should be considering LinkedIn. You know, the way that you can target people based on their professions could also be interesting from a consumer perspective as well. On to Snapchat. So big news, Snapchat went down for almost an hour on Friday and the millennials were panic so there were quite a lot of tweets on friday people talking about being in their flow of their story on snapchat and suddenly it went down so you could still look at stories but you just couldn't post but they fixed it quite quickly main news for snapchat this week is around advertising so there are rumors that their minimum spend is going to be considerably lower than it has been in the past now that they've got this ads api the rumor is it'll be a $100,000 minimum. When Instagram first launched, theirs was $500,000 minimum, so considerably lower than that. And it should allow brands to really test and learn and try out the platform without having to put in a huge amount of investment up front. I'm assuming this is because the API is going to allow so many more people to advertise, they can afford to lower those minimums. And it, it looks like they're becoming a real serious platform for ads. In terms of the new suite of ads, so the ads between stories that I talked about in previous podcasts, the geo filters, sponsored lenses, Snapchat data is saying that in the engagement rate is five times higher than the average click-through rate when compared to other social platforms. And media science studies have shown that ads on Snapchat receive twice as much visual attention than Facebook ads, one and a half times as much as Instagram ads and 1.3 times as much as YouTube ads. Obviously, you've got to think about the type of audience that is on Snapchat. It might not be your target audience, but definitely something worth testing as the API is now available and potentially costs are lower. Now on to Twitter. So Twitter this week launched Twitter stickers. So this is where when you upload a photo to your tweet, you can now add stickers to it. So there's various stickers to choose from. You can add multiple ones to the same image. You can pinch them to resize and rotate them, put them anywhere you want on your photo. And then when you post the photo, it 
the stickers become clickable like a hashtag so you can click on for example I'll put a tweet that I did um, earlier this week around the football on the companion page on katehamer.com you can click on the football sticker that I put on there and then it shows all other photos that have been posted with the same sticker so it's a new way to be discovered people are saying it's perhaps hashtags for the emoji generation the good thing is the stickers take up no characters like a hashtag would. I can imagine that we might start to see bespoke stickers for events like we do for hashtags. So Euro 2016, for example, that shows the little trophy at the end as a hashtag. Maybe they've become a Euro 2016 sticker so that that would curate all of the content using that sticker. Southampton Football Club were hot on the uptake of using this new functionality so they actually used a smiley face sticker over the face of a photo of their new manager as a tease to announce the new manager so great use of the new functions and a bit of a fun tease to their fans when they announce their new manager so try out stickers see what you think of them another thing that has been noticed this week is that the profile urls so normally you would type in twitter.com slash katehamerltd now they also work with the at sign in there so twitter.com slash at katehamerltd i don't know if one or the other is eventually well the older version i guess with the slash kate hamer limited is going to stop showing at the moment they both show when you type them in but the ats are now part of the url another little change is that you can add a send a private message button on brand pages now so again i've put a tweet example in the companion page from at spotify cares but there's a, a big message button and a send a private message button that appears under tweets when companies are responding for customer service so again making the user experience easier for people when they're interacting with businesses little stat for you don't want to remind any england fans listening but when we crashed out of europe for a second time in a week there were 4.8 million tweets around england's exit from the euros and 135,000 tweets a minute at the final whistle so big conversation point for England going out and another great example of how entertaining Twitter can be during these kind of events. Uh, I also very much enjoyed my time on Twitter last night during the Italy and Germany penalty shootout, especially all the gifts going around about Zaza's missed penalty following the most ridiculous run-up I have ever seen in football. Again, I will put that on the companion page in case anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. And then the, the bigger thing on Twitter this week is the Twitter dashboard that has launched. So it's very similar indeed to the Engage app for influencers that I talked about last week. So this is for businesses on Twitter. I've had a bit of a play around with it this week. So you, it's effectively setting up a sort of social listening within Twitter about your business. It talks you through what keywords to put in. You can also add terms to exclude and then it shows an about you feed so you can see what people are saying about your business or perhaps the area that your business operates within so for me for example I've I've put in things like digital marketing social media etc it also has a create tab where you can 
create and schedule tweets directly in Twitter and encourages you, you know, says you've tweeted this many times this week, you might consider doing some more. These types of tweets work really well. So there's little tips in there as well, which is great, especially if, you know, you've got a small business and you're just starting out with Twitter, it's very useful. And then there's also an analytics section which shows both analytics about your account, so new followers, and then also analytics about your tweets and about the sort of engagement that you've had on your tweets. So a good lot of data that you can get in there to start to learn about what's working and what isn't and to help inform your content planning from that point onwards. Have a look at it for yourselves at dashboard.twitter.com. Again, the link will be on the companion page. On to Pinterest. So Pinterest is rolling out a shopping bag. Don't get too excited. It's a US only thing, as so many things are at the moment, but I'm sure it will eventually make its way to the UK. So they're rolling out a shopping bag where you can add things from all over the web and check out in a single transaction. That's provided that the retailers whose products you're looking at are set up for people to shop through the buy pins functionality. They've partnered with 20,000 merchants across 10 million products on the web. Partners in the US include Macy's and you can buy, you can pay by Apple Pay or by credit card. They're also curating a Pinterest shop which includes a visual search where you can click on items within an image to learn more and to buy them. So in the US, the shopping bag is rolling out to Android and web in the coming weeks and then iOS will follow. For the UK, watch this space. I will keep an eye on it and see what's coming up. It's a very clear indication though that Pinterest are wanting to establish themselves as an e-commerce platform more than a social platform. Definitely lots of opportunities for retailers. And as an absolute basic, I would always make sure that you've got the pin it option within your website and you're thinking about the way that your images are tagged up to work well on Pinterest. On to messaging and I spotted a tweet by Steve Cole at Stephen Cole UK this week where he was talking about a service called Franz which combines 23 messaging apps so that you can manage them all in one place. So it's currently only for Windows, Mac or Linux, but useful if you're on your computer all day because it includes WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, WeChat, Skype, Twitter, Gmail and lots more. And you can have multiple of those accounts tracked as well. So the website is meetfranz.com. Franz is F-R-A-N-Z. Again, I'll put a link on the companion page, but quite a good way to combine lots of different messaging apps rather than having to log in and have multiple windows open on your computer or be having to go in and out of multiple apps on your phone. So check that out. Search engine news. Google has signed a deal with Toronto-based Lyric Find to source and show lyrics in search results. So it's available in the US already and is going to roll out globally because the partnership does include international licenses and it will mean that to 
find lyrics for a certain song you just search the name of the song followed by lyrics on google and then the engine will display the lyrics right there in the SERPs page and also a list of alternative results of songs with the same name by other artists they're talking about this deal being integrated with google play music not quite sure how but i imagine the lyrics are probably going to show on the apps uh, similar to the way that you can see them on Amazon's music offering. One thing I think they should also add is when you know a bit of a line of a song and you don't know what it's called, because this sounds like you have to know the name of the song and then you can find the lyrics. But what about when you know a bit of the lyrics and you're trying to find the song? Because my dream of being able to sing into Shazam is still not paying off, so I might need that as an option. But the big thing for it is that it is probably going to kill traffic to quite a lot of sites that have built their businesses on indexing lyrics. But that does mean that you can avoid quite a few of the dodgy websites that you sometimes end up getting onto when you're trying to find songs. And there is a revenue stream coming out of this with Lyric Find. So millions of dollars are going to be generated for publishers and songwriters is what the founder of lyric find is saying because it's based on usage so royalties are paid based on the number of times a lyric is viewed and the more it's viewed the more publishers get paid that sounds like it's opening itself up for problems because bands could surely get their fans to all go and look at their lyrics but watch this space so that is the google news for this week couple of things on mobile in india last week they launched a four dollar smartphone so the freedom 251 is made by india's ringing bell they're making a loss on each one but the purpose is to connect poorer and more rural areas of india it's got a four inch screen an eight megapixel camera on the back and a 3.2 megapixel front facing camera for selfies and eight gig of storage and then the other thing on mobile is that the IAB conducted a study which showed that one in 10 mobile users in the UK are blocking ads and 63% of that number are millennials. But four out of five consumers do accept that ads fund the free internet. So they got a bit more into the detail of different mobile ads. 78% said that they can't stand ads that take over the whole screen. I think that's really key. You know, you don't want to hijack the user and you want them to be able to exit your advert if they want to be able to. So the IAB went through and gave a persona to each type of advert. Again, I'll link to the full article on the companion page, but... They went through the different types of ads. So standard banner they see as the soldier. It's simple, reliable, well-liked, never outstanding or exciting, and it's favoured by older and lighter users. The rich media banner is seen as the star. It's everyone's favourite. It's engaging, creative, and there is a choice to either pass it or engage fully, which people like. Pre-roll video is seen as the new kid on the block interruptive engaging creative and liked especially by millennials in read is seen as team jester interruptive preferred by a younger audience very engaging especially with short form content in a social context the mpu is seen as loyal help it's accepted by consumers but it's not as engaging and it is easy to miss and the interstitial is seen as a reckless hero 
So extremely engaging, communicative, but it can be annoying and you have to present a clear exit from it. Also last week, the new N operating system name was revealed for Android. So Android Nougat or Nugget. I don't know whether... I've always said Nougat, but do people in the UK actually say Nugget? Because I used to call Sprite Sprite because the first time I'd drunk it was in Italy. So I'm never sure. But anyway... Android Nougat, I'm going to go with. And one of the interesting things was that Google actually teased the reveal on Snapchat as one of the channels that they used for marketing it. Again, I'll pull in an example of that for you on the companion page. They basically had the Android statue with a blanket over it as an image and then took it off and it was the Android character standing on slabs of Nougat. And then one other little interesting thing that doesn't really fit into a category is that Mozilla and an Italian creative agency called Toddo have developed Code Emoji as a way to demonstrate how encryption works. So it's a web-based platform where you write a message and then it encodes it with emoji, so just loads of emoji that don't really make any sense. You send that message to a friend and then they can decrypt it. And the goal of this is to show how a typical encryption process works. So you obviously type a message in plain text. You encode it using a, using a cipher, which in this case is emoji. And then you decrypt it at the other end using an encryption key. Their hope is that if more people understand how encryption works and the importance of it, then more people are going to stand up for it because governments around the world are obviously trying to weaken encryption and pass various legislation around it. So this is to bring it to life for people and help them to understand how it works. You can check it out. Again, the link is on the companion page. Try out some messages, see what they look like in emoji. Another thing I absolutely loved this week was the We Are Here campaign, if you can call it a campaign, art experience that happened on the 1st of July. So you might have seen it. The hashtag was We Are Here on social media. Thousands of volunteers took part in this modern memorial to mark the centenary of the Battle of the Somme. So it was a UK wide event. 1400 people dressed in first world war uniform appeared unexpectedly in all kinds of different places across the uk in shopping centers in parks in stations and each of those 1400 people represented an individual soldier who was killed on the first of july 100 years ago at the battle of the somme and they would be marching perhaps or they'd be standing in Waterloo Station. They didn't speak, but they occasionally all broke into songs singing the We're Here Because We're Here song that used to be sung in the trenches. And they handed out cards with the names of the soldier that they were representing, their regiment and where they knew it, their age when they died. So this generated a huge amount of content. If you look at the We Are Here hashtag on Twitter, you can see Lots of people were posting photos of the soldiers as they saw them, wherever they might have appeared, posting photos of the little business cards that they were being given with people's names on. And it was just a great way to bring it to life, again, offline and online, really great integrated experiential thing that I think brands could learn a lot from. Again, I've put some examples on the companion page. I put the link to the website check it out and see what you think.
that's all the digital news for this week. As per usual, I'm going to end the show with a little discussion on a particular topic. This week, I'm going to focus on recruiting and retaining digital talent. This is based on a blog that I wrote recently on LinkedIn. So if that is not a relevant topic for you or you're already fully up to speed with recruiting and retaining digital talent, then you can stop listening now. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Let me know what you think of the show and I will be back on the 18th of July. For those of you who are still listening, let's get on to the topic of recruiting and retaining digital talent. So this is something that I work with people quite often on, both when I've been working within a business and now as I work with businesses as a consultant. Uh, It's a topic that comes up quite a lot when people are looking at digital transformation of their business. And my philosophy is that once a business has really integrated digital tools and channels, they won't necessarily need a separate digital team. They're always going to need experts on elements of digital infrastructure. So people who really understand databases, content management systems, specialisms like search engine optimization, those kind of things, absolutely you need experts for. But in terms of digital marketing or sales, then that should eventually become part of your marketing and sales teams because the principles of marketing and sales are no different. It's just that you have a wider range of channels to be able to use. So obviously a lot of businesses, particularly larger, more traditional businesses are quite far from that point at the moment. You've got senior marketing and sales specialists who might have learnt their craft pre-internet and so there's a job to be done to upskill them and that's where you do need to be recruiting digital talent because if you haven't got any skills internally then you need to look externally. But I've just got a few tips and advice to make sure that you do it in the right way. So the first thing is that if you're not known for digital, it can be hard to attract talent because digital experts are in a great position at the moment. There aren't enough of them for the amount of roles that exist. And because there's so many different types of companies and industries recruiting for them, from pure play retailers to offline companies that are kind of dragging themselves into the 21st century, it means that these people can be choosy. And you want to make sure that you're looking for the right sort of person especially in more traditional organisations, because it won't be as simple there to join as a digital expert and just get on with your job as it would be if you went to a pure play retailer, because there's going to have to be a lot of explanation, education, justification to senior members of an organisation about why things need to be done in a particular way. And that takes the right sort of person. So you want a person that not only excels at digital, but actually wants to be part of a transformation of a company, is prepared to rattle some cages, is prepared to have to justify what they're doing and not sort of feel defensive about that. So really look for that particular kind of person. The second thing I would say is beware of the blagger because digital has grown so quickly and is such a sought after skill that there are a lot of blaggers in this industry. And it can be difficult if you're a company recruiting digital talent to fill a 
void in your business because the people interviewing might not necessarily know enough to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, there's so many articles about digital that you can kind of read up on stuff enough to sound like you know your stuff, but then when it comes to actually rolling your sleeves up and having to get into the back end of a website or look at the way that redirects are in place on your SEO or whatever it might be, they might struggle. So you really want to make sure in an interview process that you're getting concrete examples of things that they've achieved and getting them to talk you through them in detail, maybe do some reviews of your own digital platforms for you and tell you what they've seen and what they would do just so that you can get more information from them and check that they definitely are going to be able to swim when they dive in to your business. The other thing that is a real thing of mine is digital experts and not necessarily expert teachers. So someone could be absolutely brilliant at digital strategy or execution of marketing campaigns through digital channels, but it doesn't mean that they've got the necessary skill set to train other people in those areas. And I think sometimes companies can recruit digital talent and think, right, that's enough. We've recruited a digital team and that's all going to kind of transfer knowledge to the wider business and that's going to tick the box and we're going to be digital. And to an extent, it will help you because you've got people pushing the digital agenda, but you still should have a proper training plan for your marketing and salespeople. It perhaps can't all be delivered by your digital experts because they're also having to sort your digital stuff out as well as be teaching the wider team. And it can become quite exhausting if they're delivering work and training the workforce. So bear in mind that you might still need expert teachers to help train your wider organization. Don't stop the learning. So again, you're getting these digital experts in, the danger is they will come in, they will teach everybody everything they know, but they will stagnate themselves. So you really want to make sure that there is a training and development program in place for them and that they're going to have time to go to industry events and conferences so that they can stay at the cutting edge because the worst thing would be if they came in and then didn't continue to develop. Career paths are different for digital. Again, a big one. Large brands can really struggle to define a career path for digital people. And if you think that's because, you know, traditional companies, for example, FMCGs have had for years this clear path for marketing and sales talent where you go from a junior in your specialism up to general manager. But digital people might not want to become generalists. You know, they purposefully specialized for a reason in my career I've sometimes been told by bosses you know this is your opportunity to start doing posters for in-store and things and you can become a generalist but I did that before I specialized so I want to stay in digital and that can be scary for companies sometimes because they don't see how they can put a development plan in for people and then they can't necessarily visualize a future for the company and I don't think that is necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's okay if someone wants to come and work for you for a few years and then move on to somewhere else. As long as both parties are getting what they need from that relationship, that's okay. And I think the other thing is that digital people understand that everything is evolving so quickly. It'd be very hard to say today what sort of job you want to be doing in two years. And I think they're okay with that. They will look at how things evolve. They're happy to be a bit more fluid in 
the things that they want to work on and what they want to do in the future. So it really does no harm to be getting new blood in every few years from a digital perspective and moving around companies. And the other thing within that is that promotion isn't the only incentive. So there are other ways that you can incentivize and motivate your digital talent. Perhaps you could make them a super user of a particular tool or a channel so they're recognized in your organization as the go-to person for, you know, whether it's social media or an analytics thing or whatever it might be. Some companies are starting to do reverse mentoring programs in their business as well, where they're getting younger members of the team to spend time with a senior member of the board to bring them up to speed on digital. You know, that's a great thing for people to have on their CV. And you can look at things in a different way as well. So if you are a manufacturer of goods, could you set up exchange opportunities with the digital team at one of your retailers so they get the opportunity to come and work within a brand? Your person from the brand goes and works in a retailer. They experience a different set of challenges. It also means you can really build strong relationships with the business. When I was at Unilever, I seconded myself in a joint business plan into Tesco's web development team. And that was great to learn more from their perspective and understand the challenges they were facing developing new websites, but also telling them more from a Unilever perspective. And it really strengthened our relationship. So there's definitely things that you can do in that way. I think digital people are probably more aware of the importance of networks due to their experience of the power of social media. They know how important that is. So they can all be motivating opportunities for your team as well. So that's a little list of tips for recruiting and retaining digital talent. I hope that was useful. Again, I'll put the link to the blog that I wrote about that as well. So thank you very much for listening to the digital download. As I said, I hope you found it useful. Do let me know at Kate Hamer Limited on Twitter or email kate at katehamer.com. I will be cheering on who knows who, hopefully Wales maybe at the Euros final next week, but I will be back with a podcast on the 18th of July. Thanks for listening. Bye.